Uh, hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series and Podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. Here, please have Azra Nomani, a former reporter at the Wall Street Journal, professor at Georgetown University, and author, join us to discuss Islamism's Woke Army, based on our just-released book, Woke Army, the Red-Green Alliance that is Destroying America's Freedom. Ms. Nomani will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Azra Nomani. Great. Thank you so much, Stacey. And thank you so much to all my friends and all those that are out there watching. I have long been studying this issue that I'm going to be talking to you about. And it comes both from the heart, what I'm going to share with you, and also from my incredible reporting and um, dogged uh, pursuit of truth over the last 20 years. And I just want to thank all of you for you know being upstanders in this process because it will come with uh, no surprise to you that one of the great investigations that I did in this book was to uncover the people who have tried to silence us. And, um, and I'm so thrilled to be sharing this with the Middle East Forum because you all have been one of the number one targets that I expose in this uh, new book as having been targeted by this dynamic that I chronicle called the woke army. It's a dramatic, dramatic cover. What we have here is the symbol of Islam, my birth religion and my religion. It is the religion of my parents. I was born in Bombay, India to beautiful parents, Sajda and Zafar Nomani, who uh, taught me an Islam of grace, an Islam of women's rights and equal rights. And that is something that I ended up coming into a collision course with trying to realize in the world, as much as you, as much of you know, when it comes to the issue of Islamism or this ideology of political Islam that is counter to this principles that my parents raised me with of an Islam of grace. And so I'm going to talk more about that. And then this symbol, you know, very well, also, it is the symbol of the hammer and sickle, of course, that becomes a metaphor today for many movements from communism at the furthest left to socialism, Marxism, even now this dynamic that we know in the United States of the hard left. And unfortunately, what, this, what has happened, as I chronicle in the book, is this dynamic of the red-green alliance that is destroying America's freedom. So as I told you, I came to this book from the heart. My dear, dear friend and colleague from the Wall Street Journal was the reporter named Daniel Pearl. Danny was an amazing, beautiful human being. He helped me as an immigrant girl to the United States learn about American culture. I told him at the age of 28 that I'd never been allowed to go to my prom because as a good Muslim girl, I wasn't allowed to dance with boys. And so in the newsroom in Washington, DC, Danny helped me plan my first party ever. And it, we called it the Midsummer Night's Prom. And at the age of 28, I had my prom. But then in January 2002, we both found ourselves in Karachi, Pakistan, and there I had rented a home. I had fallen in love, and Danny and his wife, Marianne, came to visit me. 
As many of you know, Danny then left for an interview from which he never came back. In the next days, we hunted for Danny, but he had become captive to this dragnet of extremists from my faith, men who then justified his brutal murder because of Danny's identity as an American, as a white man, as a Jew, and as the grandson of Israel. And so in that moment, January 23rd, 2002, when I last saw my friend Danny, I was born and reborn as a Muslim reformer, challenging this extremist interpretation of Islam. For so many years, we fought in the trenches. We couldn't save Danny, but what we were hoping to do in my family and among Muslims that you all know very well, Zudi Jasser, Rahil Raza, ex-Muslims like Ayan Hirsi Ali, we were trying to battle this extremism. I walked up to the front door of my mosque in Morgantown, West Virginia, and I went there to find a place of peace. But instead, I was greeted by an elder who told me, sister, take the back door. And so in the United States of America, all of a sudden, separate and unequal was acceptable. When I dared to challenge this interpretation of Islam, I went, you will never believe, to an organization called the Council on American Islamic Relations. They tout themselves as a civil rights organization, but what I discovered is that they are anything but. They told me, this man named Ibrahim Hooper, their spokesman, their main communications man, you've got to find another mosque. We don't do Islamic Islamic relations. We do American Islamic relations. And what ended up happening? I ended up finding myself in the crosshairs of this character assassination campaign. And it's one that many of you will know very well because you too have probably been the targets of it. I was called a Zionist media whore because I had dared to help my friend Danny. I was called an Islamophobe because this was the new tactic of silencing people. And what I discovered was that there was also a secret anonymous website that had been created called loonwatch.com. And loonwatch was created to go after the so-called loons in society who were pushing so-called Islamophobia. Daniel Pipes ended up on that list. The Middle East Forum ended up on that list. Zudi Jasser, an American Muslim, ended up on that list. Rahil Raza ended up one of their targets. Tariq Fatah, and I also was one of their targets. Who were these people, I wondered. For 15 years, I had become seasoned as an investigative reporter. And so what I did, what I reveal in this book, is I filed a defamation lawsuit because at Loon Watch one day, they claimed that I was funded by the government of Israel. And so in these pages, you will see 
that I went from being the hunted to becoming the hunter. And with that civil lawsuit, I filed subpoenas against the internet service providers that are the platforms for these anonymous attackers. What is an internet service provider? Facebook, Google, Twitter, and a place called GoDaddy, which registers websites. What I learned was Loon Watch was registered at GoDaddy. And one day, you guys, one day, I got the results of the subpoena. And I'm going to just share with you one finding. This is chapter six. And this is about how they launched a disinformation website. So at 8.33.38 p.m. on April Fool's Day, 2009, a young man used the name Zuhair Thomas, put this in quote marks, to register a new account at GoDaddy, one of the many new internet service providers that had emerged in the 1990s. Zuhair Thomas was shopper ID number 27179307 in GoDaddy's system, according to hundreds of pages of documents received in response to a subpoena filed as part of a defamation lawsuit. He put an address as 1200 Market Street in Philadelphia, a Lowe's Hotel in downtown Philadelphia. The phone number he provided was for the hotel's front desk. He used a Muslim first name, Zuhair, and an Anglo-Saxon last name. Had someone read GoDaddy's internal shopper info files, they would have read verified by fraud department, customer okay. But what I reveal in the book is who Zuhair Thomas actually is. Zuhair Thomas is a man by the name of Muhammad Tasif Akbar. Who is he? Research director at the Council on American Islamic Relations, Chicago chapter. And in those pages and in this book, I document the Visa credit card that was used to pay for GoDaddy's account that Zuhair Thomas, alias for Muhammad Tasif Akbar, belong to, and it belonged to, and it belongs to Ahmed Rehab, Executive Director of the Council on American Islamic Relations, Chicago chapter. So this disinformation character assassination campaign against many people that you love, that you respect, that you adore, who go out every day with their beliefs with their real names. This disinformation character assassination campaign was funded, directed, and continues to be online through the Council on American Islamic Relations. What have they been trying to do? This woke army 
and its new alliance with the far left has been using America's freedoms to wage its own disinformation and propaganda campaign against its critics and the critics of the ideology of Islamism or political Islam. I couldn't even believe it when I saw the truth. I couldn't believe it. To this day, I cannot believe that people would be so diabolical and so insidious, but that is what the receipts reveal. And what I show in the book then is how this network started exploiting concepts like white fragility and critical race theory to create a shield for themselves on the very legitimate criticisms that Muslims, Muslim reformers and others put forward about dangerous ideologies. They have used the shield of race in order to protect themselves. And now what you can see is that many of the individuals who have supported and amplified this network are now in the mainstream media with programs on MSNBC, contributions to the New York Times. They used this disinformation campaign in order to become accepted by the Democratic Party in the United States of America also. And what I want to just leave you with is a simple idea that this alliance built on deception and demagoguery is working together to undermine America's freedoms. And it is being realized in our public school system also. I know this because in the summer of 2020, I went from being a Muslim reformer to being a mama bear in our school system because you will not believe this. This network started working together to destroy merit in America. I tell the story in the final chapters because this is a network that is coming after our kids. And the wedge issue that I wanna to present to you that can undermine this alliance is the fact that what we now have in schools is not only the weaponizing of this network to push books like this one, Woke Baby, and A is for Activist, a principle that you know many of the individuals in the Islamist community want to have happen. But what they are also doing now is pushing books like this, Gender Queer, filled with pornographic material that I can't even show on this webinar right now. Gay BCs, which has as T, not train, like we grew up learning, right? But T is for trans. And so as a Muslim reformer, and like most of you, I believe that adults have, of course, the right to make their own personal choices. What this is doing is indoctrinating children in a way that is 
inappropriate and dangerous. And I believe that ultimately we will find, and we are finding from Dearborn, Michigan to the home district of Representative Ilhan Omar, Muslim parents who are also refusing this type of indoctrination. And so what I want to leave you with is a simple idea that however this woke army manifests itself in your life, in your public schools, maybe in the workplace, please harness as much moral courage as you possibly can because these character assassins, they are cowardly people. You know, they hide behind masks. They hide behind anonymity because their tactics are the ones of cowards. They are the ones of people on the losing side of history. And so in whichever way you can do it, please harness that moral courage, the courage of your ancestors, the courage of your community, and work with all of us in the Muslim reform movement as parent advocates, as people who love America and this world to realize a humanism, you know, a humanism that stands up for the beautiful values of women's rights, equal rights, and justice, individualism, and the joy that is every single person, not to be shamed, ridiculed, or demonized. So I am so grateful to the Middle East Forum for giving me this opportunity to speak to you. Please go out there, go to amazon.com and buy the book. Give it a five-star review. I'm going to be the Meineke guy right now because we want the algorithms on our side now. Please buy the book. Contact me at astra at astranomani.com if I can speak to anybody in your community. And I thank the Middle East Forum and Daniel Pipes because he has been a target and managed these character assassinations with dignity and grace. It's a challenge in each one of our lives when we come under attack to do that. But when you have the North Star of humanism as your guide, you will always, always be on the correct side of history. I look forward to the conversation we're going to have right now. And thank you so much for all of your support. Greetings, Asra. I'm a late arrival to the uh, the webinar. It's me, Dexter Van Zyle, and uh, I just wanted to thank you for coming on to uh, the webinar. Uh, I've been reading the book, and one of the most important messages or words that I saw in this uh, text was the word wound collectors. And that was a word that you got from uh, an FBI agent that basically kind of, I think you talked to about essentially this uh, this hidden network of harassers that, that it looks like care is set up. Right. And the interesting thing about this is that it seems as if rather than actually promote good relations between uh, uh, the American Muslim population and the non-Muslim population, it looks as if care is essentially trying to kind of like promote grievance on the part of the American Muslim population and uh, even assail reform-minded Muslims that might actually play a role in improving those relations. 
talk to me about how they've been promoted, pe encourage people to be wound collectors. Oh, gosh, thanks so much, Dexter. And thank you so much for joining today, because you have also been a valiant, valiant fighter for yeah. truth. And I really appreciate it. All that investigative reporting, that's what we need in order to uncover their demagoguery. So I'm so glad you focused on that, those two words. I was reporting on my friend Danny's murder as a professor at Georgetown University. I'm not teaching there anymore right now, but we work, we came together, a group of professors and students to investigate Danny's murder. And in that investigation, I met this FBI, former FBI agent named Joe Navarro. And he co had coined this concept of wound collectors to describe terrorists who justify their violence because they have grievances with no statute of limitations. And, you know, people will understand that dynamic, maybe sometimes in their own family, maybe among friends, you know, people who just can't let it go, right? But exactly, just like you said, Dexter, what the Council on American Islamic Relations has done is they have weaponized grievances to fundraise, to push their agenda, and doing, they've done something else that a dear friend of mine, Orly Petter also discusses in the book, and that is hijack our empathy. Orly calls it suicidal empathy, because when you start feeling bad for somebody, you may start losing your own rational thought about what the solution should be. You get caught up in their grievance. And that is exactly what CARE has done to the United States of America. We know this very well with their number one priority, which is the destruction of the state of Israel. That is something that we cannot forget because the Nakba or the 1947 war, you know, that led to the creation of the state of Israel is something that is an example of this great concept of wound collecting. It is the great humiliation that must be justified and rectified to this day. And so in that way, exactly, CARE and this entire network of the woke army though, the Marxists, the socialists, the hard left, who do they have in here also? They have the political movement of Black Lives Matter, and all of the uh, movements that have emerged to radicalize young people also with the concept of grievances with no statute of limitations. We must always, we must always, you know, correct wrongs in history, but what they do is they never offer a solution that is actually gonna put the history into a place of healing. They want trauma always to, to motivate people to not only violence, but agitation, political votes, and all the rest that fulfills their agenda. So thank you so much for yeah, focusing on that concept of wound collectors. Yeah, and, and interestingly enough, one of the things that you've done is, is it, on one hand, you basically call out the American left for basically its failure to, base, to, to stand up to some of the more retrograde impulses of Islamism in the United States. But you also hold accountable, there's a passage in the book where you talk about how some people on the right 
uh, essentially what they do is they engage in a monolithic or promote a monolithic view of Islam. Can you talk a little bit about your critique of the right as well? Yeah, you know, I have just been so um, educated on this process by my dear friend Zuthi Jasser, who is always, uh, you know, self-identified as a conservative and as a member of the Republican Party. And what Zuthi has done so well is he has tried himself also to educate many people that have existed, but have we have less and less of them now on the far right who do treat Muslims and Islam as a monolith. I know from the great work that you all do, for example, that you recognize the power and the strength of Muslim reformers like myself. But unfortunately, there are some people who do want to dismiss all of us as, you know, fakes and frauds who who are violating, you know, the basic tenets of Islam. But what I am encouraged to see is that there are less and less of those folks. Zudi has done an amazing job educating anybody who might think differently. And what we are now dealing with is, of course, the far left and the Islamist movement that wants to brand all conservatives and all Republicans with this, um, you know, the same uh, monolithic approach to Islam because it's to their advantage. You know, they don't want to see the complexity or the intellect in, in America of conservatives and the Republican um, uh, party. And so what you will find is that Loon Watch, for example, not only had us as Muslim reformers in their crosshairs, they had conservatives, they had the Republican party, they had pundits, anybody who challenged the idea of Islamic extremism, because ultimately they have been funded and supported by these Islamist governments that will be uh, challenged if we dare to challenge the political Islam. So it's in their interest to even make conservatives a monolith. And what I encourage everyone to do is just, you know, Allow us as Muslims, please, to have that same grace that we have had to have uh, through history as different religions have had to also evolve and progress and, 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 and please support our movement for reform because you can see in the streets of Iran, women who have challenged the Islamism and the regime of the government of Iran with one of them, Masi Alinejad, now, you know, um, recognized as a time woman hero and and so we can do this you know because we are on the correct side of history now um one of the questions uh that was raised in the q a is is that care and other similar organizations have unlimited access to washington power figures how can moderate muslims get greater access and uh, and aside and another question and forgive me for piggybacking but you know uh in the text of this book, and I about two-thirds of the way through, I just I weep at the impact that Loon Watch had yes. on moderate Muslims here in the United States, because it was clearly a devastating, marginalizing, psychologically damaging campaign that these people operated. So what what impact did CARE have on, on moderate Muslims? Uh, with this campaign, and what can be done to restore or or advance the movement now? 
Thank you so much for being a mirror on my work and just capturing so effectively as a reader, you know, how you processed it. I'm, I'm, I heard every single one of your words, just like having it sink into my heart because Dexter, it has been such a painful process. It is true. Being the target of these character assassinations. There's this part in the book, um, it, and this might've been one of the moments when you wept where I was weeping. I was weeping because there was a professor now ensconced at Duke University named Omid Safi. And he came after me, called me an Islamophobe on a place called uh, you know, Religion Newswire and Religious Dispatch or something like that. I, went, I, I stood up to that attack because he had no grounding for it. What I had dared to do was celebrate this uncle of the Sarnev brothers 10 years ago, who dared to stand up like the champion we need in our Muslim community against the extreme extremism of his nephews. He told the world, I sat there, I stood there at his driveway where he told the world that his nephews were losers. He didn't make excuses for them like the Council on American Islamic Relations has done for so many militants and terrorists. He called it out. So I wrote a piece for the Washington Post about how Uncle Ruslan accomplished more in his uh, driveway interview than this network had done in, in the years before. Omid Safi came after me. I got that blog of his uh, unpublished because it was defamatory. But then what I saw was that this anonymous character named Emperor republished it, just like you said, on Loon Watch. And so they perpetuated the lie. They perpetuated the defamation. And I saw the comments, as many people know, are ruthless. And I wept in my car one day. My son was just 10 years old. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Mom, stop crying these people are terrorists of the mind. And my little boy in that little moment understood clearly exactly what you've processed, how they terrorize us. And their impact has been devastating, but it is not permanent. We remain solid. We have grown in numbers. We are continuing to grow. They have a multi-million dollar campaign that I also document. When I was sitting in that parking lot and my son put his hand on my shoulder, I was not far from this place that I document in the book called 500 Grove Street, where the hub of that political power that the listener just asked about, the hub of that political power sits there. It's right down the road from me across Route 7 here in Northern Virginia. And it's a place called the Institute, the International Institute of Islamic Thought, IIIT. It has been a place that has been the target of many investigations on counterterrorism and terrorism financing, but they continue to exist. Next week, Dexter, they are going to have a lobbying campaign and they are going to be going to the Hill. And where are they meeting? They are meeting at the Turkish mosque now that has been built by the government of Turkey because they are now funders for this political Islam in America. How can we as Muslim reformers get bigger and stronger? We just have to 
continue to try to institutionalize, you know, just like all movements have done, we have to be able to get the mailing list, get our message out. But I would just want everybody to know that these people have been strong and they have been devastating, but they have not won. I sit here today before you and so do so many of my colleagues and we, we are unrelenting and we will continue till our dying days to fight for this world and this country because that is what our Islam teaches us also and, and we're gonna fight for it. Okay. Now, I just want to want our listeners to know that essentially, you know, the one thing that there's a problem with this book is that it doesn't have an index. And I'm, yes. I don't mean to run you down. But while I was reading this text, I was saying to myself, you know, I'm just going to have to mark up those parts of the text that are really important. And the problem is, is that I have pages filled with marks because there's an awful lot of really good information there. Thank you. Before we go out, and we might go on a little bit longer, but uh, one of the things that it says on page 81 is, is that Muslims have succeeded academically, professionally, and politically in the United States, despite the typical assimilation challenges that beset any community. But something unique has hamstrung our process, our knee-jerk inclination to be something that one FBI agent calls being a couch jihadi leveling grievance after grievance against the West in a thinly veiled effort to avoid discussing the real crisis of extremism in our communities. And further down on that page, you say it is not Islamophobia or an irrational fear of Islam to be frightened of Islamic extremism, but rather a rational fear of, of an interpretation of Islam uh, slaying innocent lives from Pakistan to Canada. Instead of saving face, uh, we need to do something that children learn own up. With honesty and pragmatism, we could then relieve the fears that others have of Muslims and make the world safer for everyone, in, everyone, including Muslims. Now, that's a pretty gutsy thing for somebody in your position to be say, saying. Is it resonating with anyone in the oh, Muslim yes. community? Yes, it definitely is. You know, what I have behind me, I sat here intentionally, is I have behind me my, my books organized chronologically. And I begin with Judaism, Christianity, and then Islam. And then through the bottom of this one shelf and then the others is the extremism. That's a reality. You know, in our community today, it is put forward by ideologues with names like Sayyid Khutub and Maulana Modudi. And now, you know, it's been uh, inherited into the modern day with these violent movements. And then over here is the new ideology of wokeism that has married with Islamism to be a threat to both America's freedoms and the world. You know, um, in this new movement, my native India has become the new Israel. It is the target of these, um, these, this woke army. They are hijacking concepts like Nazism to say last week in a report, or a report just issued this week that there's a Nazification of India. They are dealing with these, uh, these grievances, these wounds in a way that weaponizes emotions, right? So that we are shut up and we do not stand up in defense of truth that we get shamed. That's how they use grievances. That's how they're exploiting emotions. And so, you know, to your question, 
my child learned how to own up. I remember the piece of paper, the, the worksheet that he got in second grade about what it was to own up. We all know that every society's got to do that. America has had to face owning up to issues of slavery, you know, Japanese internment. We, we get, we move forward in society that way. But these communities, they do not want to own up themselves to the problems that they are perpetuating in society. And they don't want to allow anybody to own up also. So what they do is, for example, you know, use the creation of the state of Israel as a perpetual, a perpetual, you know, uh, uh, club over the heads of Jews. Now they are taking this very, very serious moment of history that slaughtered so many millions of the of Nazi Germany, and they're imposing that now on the state of India because they want their Islamism to become embedded in the minds of one of the largest populations of Muslims in the world. They want to claim Kashmir. You know, there's so many politics that they have that is the grievances of these couch jihadis. I grew up with this. I listened to the men debate this in my family living room. The women were sent into the kitchen or the dining room in separate rooms, but I would hear the men. I would try to join the conversation sometimes, you know, try to, even in my young mind, push us towards solutions. But they, uh, they exploit grievances in order to continue their politics. And we cannot fall for it. That's the big message in my book. We cannot be hostage or silenced or shamed because of the grievances that they keep trying to put on our shoulders. Just stay true to the recognition that you have in your thought process of remedies that have been done, solutions that we can have moving forward. And and never allow your own emotions to be hijacked by their grievances, please, because that's the only way that we're going to be able to overcome and win over this woke army. That propaganda is part of their weaponization and uh, of of and is part of their battle strategy. And so, encourage everyone to uh, read the book also in your life, because what I try to do is not only educate, but inoculate people so that they cannot succumb to these strategies and stand so that they can stand strong, you know, with intellectual confidence and moral courage. That's my goal with the book. I think we're going to have to bring it to a close. I just want to reiterate that this is a very important text and it's, I think, a great source of hope. Um, And I want to thank you, Asra, for writing the book and appearing again today. And I would like to thank all of the people who showed up for this webinar. uh, And I want them to uh, ask them to be on the lookout for next week's schedule, which will be emailed out over the weekend. And again, thanks so much, Asra, and thanks everyone for attending. Goodbye. Thank you so much, everyone.